It is so good to worship God together today. He is holy and he is in the house this morning. And it's great to be with you all. Thanks. Amen. Everybody on the live stream, hey, give a shout out to the live stream. They're there. They're watching. We're glad you're here live stream. Everybody in the house, glad you're here. My name is Neil. I'm the adult and family pastor here. Welcome to FBC this morning. Um, We are a community who is helping everyone in this room, out there in the live stream, and in Davis, in Yola County, discover faith in Jesus Christ, to grow in love for God and others, and to live as ambassadors of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're on about. We're really glad you're here. If you are new here, if you are newish here, uh, you're not feeling fully connected, I'd love to invite you to join me for some chai and chocolate in the fireside room today. That's right through those doors. And we'll just have a little meet and greet. Um, again, if you're new, if it's your first time, it's your fifth time, it's, you know, you just don't feel quite connected yet um, and you want to find out more, I'd um, love to have you join us right after the service today. Now, we have a couple uh, kind of community business things to talk about uh, just to let you know about. The first ones are finances. Every couple months, we try and give a financial update, uh, full disclosure, uh, because, you know, as a community, we run through sharing our resources. Christians call it tithing um, and we're sharing our resources. And so here's where we're at in January. Um, you can see the numbers here. So bottom line, we're just under uh, or uh, over budget, $5,869. And the, the staff and the ministry leaders at our church are doing their best to keep you know, costs you know, low. But there's been a lot of stuff happening in January uh, with Alpha and some retreats and our perspectives on World Missions course and benevolence giving to people in crisis. And so we just uh, thank you for sharing your resources with our whole community and uh, invite you to continue doing that. That's our financial update. Uh, The main thing I want to tell you about is Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, and we're going to have a joint worship service Wednesday night, 7 p.m. at UCC, and you're all invited. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent, which is a 40-day journey um, towards Easter. And uh, Christians throughout history and around the world uh, were invited to step into that journey. Um, It's molded around Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, tempted. And just like Jesus has this journey through challenges and uh, life and following God, so we have a Jesus-shaped journey of our own. And Lent uh, embodies that. Uh, One of the reasons I especially love the Ash Wednesday service is because it kind of centers me in the midst of our culture. Just like our culture, sometimes I think I am the greatest person around. And just like our culture, sometimes I think I am no good and I'm worthless. And, and Ash Wednesday grounds me in the, my proper proportion uh, to God and to others. And it says, uh, I, I'm, I'm neither the best nor the worst. I'm being saved by Jesus Christ and I'm on this road, and it gives me this hopeful, convicted realism about who we are and what God is doing to save our world. And so that all starts this Wednesday. Uh, I'd love to have you join us if you're able to. That's our family business. Uh, So why don't you now take a moment to stand up and just greet the people that we've been singing with. Um, Let them know you're glad they're here, and uh, go for it.
All right, let's go ahead and find our seats again. Glad you're here this morning, whether you're here in the room or online. If you don't know me, my name is Steve, and I'm the senior pastor here. And right now we're in a series called More Than Meets the Eye, where we're looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And personally, I've really enjoyed this in so many ways because I've had these aha moments, actually, as I've been studying and preaching. And I feel like there's areas in my life where the penny has finally dropped. Um, And that's a good thing because that's exactly what Paul wanted for us in this book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, Paul essentially pulls back the curtain of this world to show us the unseen, to show us the cosmic and its interplay and its influences on our world and even in our very own lives. And so my deep hope is that we've all had these moments maybe during this series and maybe that we would even have one this morning uh, so as to live more robustly by faith um, and not simply by sight. Now, we've all heard about the stereotypical call to the fire department for help because that darn cat has found itself up into the tree and cannot get down. And obviously, you know, cats are tremendous climbers with those claws. But once up in a tree, house cats have this tendency to not be able to come down. Am I right, cat lovers? Right? Um, But have you ever wondered why? Animal expert and autism advocate, Temple Grandin, she has a theory. She claims that at some point, mother cats would teach their kittens how to get down from a tree. Just as they teach their young, you know, all kinds of other things that we thought were feline instincts. You know, things like how to hunt or to, you know, bury their waist or deal with prey or, you know, approach a dog or a person, you know, all that stuff. But her theory goes is that the very cats who get stuck in trees are the ones who are taken from their mothers before they get this lesson of how to find their way down a tree, right? That's why cats... House cats can get up, but they cannot get down. They haven't been taught. And it's just a theory, but it seems to make sense. I mean, after all, you know, we have scientific studies of a great deal of animal behavior and how it's much more imitated and learned than it is instinctive like we used to think. There are studies of tigers and wolves and cheetahs and birds and lizards and fish. Yes, fish, right? And those studies say that these animals learn how to be that particular kind of animal, not just by instinct, but also because they watch and imitate their mom, their dad, others like them in their group. That is, many animals act the way they do because they learn by imitating. That's actually the power of imitation in the animal kingdom. And it's a power that actually you and I know all too well, don't we? I mean, do you ever find yourself doing things or saying things and like cringe and think, I've become my mother, right? I've become my father, right? Or do you ever, parents, do you ever cringe when your child does something because they're imitating something you do that you're not very proud of? Do you know what I'm talking about? Not all of our imitation is cringeworthy. I mean, much of our imitation of of parents and mentors and teachers you know, also factors into our success or our health and how we learn to think and and do jobs and relate to others. In fact, we even imitate one another. And science would tell us that when we're doing that, we're actually building bonds of trust, group cohesion with one another. 
And so imitating one another, it's a mode of learning, yes, but it also sets the norm for how we operate together as a community. Imitation is incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful, but often unseen, underappreciated for how it teaches us and how it normalizes what is actually going on with us as a group. Now, with that in mind, who should the church imitate? As Christians, what is our source of imitation? To learn how to live and what is normal among us. Now, the answer may be obvious. It may be really, really obvious. But let's face it. There is a difference between the obvious right answer and our actual functional answer that we live by, isn't there? We can all have the right answer and say Jesus is the one we imitate, but then we can actually live with a functional answer that is actually completely different, right? That's why, in large part, the church doesn't have a spotless record, right? Because many times we've had a functional answer that is differed from the right answer. I mean, even today, we, we sense that Christians fall into this trap because we hear of their faith in Jesus, and yet we see how they actually seem to imitate you know, one brand of politics or another, one form of power and persuasion or another, one vision of America or another, one societal theory or another. And as easy as it is for us to like point fingers, and, and, and we have to be quick to admit here that it's much easier to see it in others than it is to see in ourselves because we just quickly assume that our functional answer is in fact the right answer, don't we? All of this goes to say that this question of who we imitate isn't a foregone conclusion. To grasp this right answer and then to figure out how we make that our functional answer in life, it's absolutely crucial. It will make us do what we do and say what we say with an aroma of Christ and not some other alien scent among us. And that's why Paul uh, drills down on us and God's grace in Jesus. In chapter 4, verses 20, 17 to 24, he casts this vision of Christian change and, and Christian transformation as putting off the old self that we're accustomed to and putting on this new self that has been made like Jesus. And now we're going to hop over that section and get into the meat of this practice and what it means. And, and the center is one of, listen, imitating God. And so Paul, he's going to invite us to be imitators of God. And then he challenges us and he's going to meddle with us a little bit in how we functionally do that in our words and then in how we add value to people. So I want you to grab your Bible or open your Bible app on your phone uh, find your way to this really powerful section in Paul's letter in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to chapter 5, verse 2. If you reached for one of those blue Bibles in the chair underneath, the chair in front of you or on the tables next to you, it's on page 978. And with that section in front of us, we're going to follow along as Daniel Bjornsson reads it for us. So Daniel, come on up. Ephesians 4, 25 through 5, 2. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Daniel. Now, the ruling thought of this whole section that we just read is cued to us um, with that word, uh, therefore, in chapter 5, verse 1. And that ruling thought for us to consider is this, be imitators of God. We're to observe God's pattern, to learn a new pattern for living, so as to normalize it among us. So we're not to assume God's pattern or imagine what his pattern must be in our mind's eye. We're to see his actual pattern for living, the very pattern that Paul has been laying out all of these weeks as we've been studying Ephesians. And then once we've observed it and and kind of of taken it in, we're to attempt it ourselves. We're to try to live out that new pattern for ourselves. And then as we attempt to live that new pattern out, the idea is that it would become a norm among us. It would be normal for how we treat each other, the posture we take in this world. That's what it means to be imitators of God. So what's this particular pattern of God that we're to imitate? Love. Love. The pattern of love that we see with crystal clarity and concreteness in Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That love that is other-focused because it was for us and for sin's payment, not for himself. And that love that was sacrificial because it cost him his life at the cross. And so in essence, to imitate God means we're to, you know, walk in love. We're to see and experience God's pattern of love, his pattern of being other-focused and self-sacrificial, of being in other people's corner, even to his own cost of himself. And then we're to pattern our thoughts, our, our attitudes, our behaviors around that pattern. Now, I know that sounds crazy and difficult, doesn't it? Come on. Right? This is crazy. But let, let me th- let's think of it like this. Let's think of it like this. God is the music of love that we hear in Jesus. Right? And we just simply have to try to dance to that music. All right? So long as we hear that music and we do our best to just start to dance with it, with whatever rhythm we have inherently, you know, with whatever grace we might have, right? And we learn to get better at it with practice, watching others do it. 
You know, but turn that volume off or, or let other music drown it out means, you know, you know we're going to be looked like fools. We'll think ourselves crazy like anyone else who's dancing without music, right? It's also impossible to dance in the first place. And so Paul's saying here, he's saying, tune your ears to God as the music of love that we hear in Jesus. The very thing that Paul has been unpacking this whole time in Ephesians. He's saying, keep tuning your ears to that music. Turn a deaf ear to that blaring noise that we are bombarded with in life. Listen, listen again to that music of Jesus living a truly authentic human life of serving and caring and teaching for us that imaged God perfectly for us. Listen to that music of Jesus innocently suffering and dying in our place on the cross. Listen to that music of Jesus rising, not just for his own triumph, but for also for our life and our eventual triumph with him. Listen to that music. Tune into that sound. And then start dancing as best you can. Do your best to take steps of love in keeping with that music and whatever rhythm you can bring to it as well. And by doing that, we imitate, we begin to imitate God in his pattern of love in Jesus. Now, that's kind of a big picture here, kind of abstract. And so to help us know what kind of dance moves to make here, to to kind of help with what kind of rhythm that we should live with, Paul went into specifics just before this section. And I just thought here, I'm talking about dancing in a Baptist church. A little bit weird, I guess, right? Okay. You guys were thinking that too, obviously. But But Paul, he begins to meddle in specifics of some of our sense of how we do life to the point that to challenge us that if we're going to imitate God or some other model, it's going to come down to some of these things. The specific dance steps, the specific rhythm, it can group into two categories here. The first of which has to do with our words. Here's how Paul put it. Notice really carefully what he says. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. At first, we might think that this is two separate things but of lying and anger, but both are actually connected to speaking and how we express our ideas and our feelings in words because words have real power. That old adage of sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, categorically false. Right? We carry wounds from what people have said. We carry strength with us today because of things that people have said to us. Words have real power the power to help and heal, as well as the power to hurt and harm. And so as such, to imitate God means to use words like God uses words. Look very particularly. Let's look very particularly at what he means. First of all, it means to deal in truth, not lies. We speak what is real, not what is fake. White lies or shading the truth or conspiracy passing on won't do. Exaggerating without clear signals of it simply won't stand. 
We don't just highlight the silver lining around the cloud to the detriment of the dark cloud it might be surrounding. I mean, granted, now listen, we don't bludgeon each other with the truth, right? We, we don't practice being indiscreet with the truth because we can't isolate this from the rest of what Scripture has to say, but we speak what is true and we make our point without having to impale people on it. How's that? Because Christians have a right to the truth from other Christians. And others deserve the truth from followers of Jesus. Instead of what is lies and fake, we're to deal with what is true and real in our words. Now for another, imitating God means specifically, you know, we use our words carefully, especially in anger. This is not so much a command about being angry when we should be with, like, you know, injustice in our world. This is much more about permitting anger, but then putting boundaries around it and how we express that anger. You see, anger happens when we have a blocked need. When that need is something good like, you know, justice or the dignity of people, that's when we have a righteous anger. However, most of the time, our needs are just that, aren't they? Our needs that we believe we personally deserve, which even taints many times the things that we think we have a righteous anger about. And as such, Paul's warning us that angry is, anger is a slippery slope for you and for me. We need to be careful. So precarious is our anger that Paul actually returns back to this and makes says, handle your anger well. He writes this. He says, he says let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with our malice. How's that for coming back to anger? Anger is a place that you and I can easily get out of control and say things that we regret and other things that injure and wound. And how we express our anger has further implications than just that, that we may not appreciate or see there's more to the eye. Because notice what he says can also open up a beachhead for the devil to work in dividing, disintegrating, and destroying us and our relationships with one another. And that's why Paul says, he urges us to imitate God in his pattern of love with Jesus in our words, truthful words, not out of control, angry words. I was inspired by this when I read a New York Times article about this young man. His name is Rainier Harris. Um, and he went to a school named Regis, which is an academically rigorous high school in uh, Manhattan's Upper East Side. Uh, he said this, he said this, we're going to Regis. He said, I felt immense pride entering Regis, but also great pressure. I'm no stranger to racist behavior. In middle school, I was targeted with it, as well as enduring classmates casually using the N-word. Any hope that this would be avoided at Regis was quickly proved wrong. Within the first two weeks there, a photo of me was shared around school by a white classmate. The caption referred to me as a monkey. At the end of my sophomore year, the school expelled a white student who used the N-word with other white friends. 
Right? Can you believe that? I'm sure of us, some of us have our blood boiling right now, and rightfully so. That's why in many schools there's just an automatic expulsion. But it doesn't have to be that way. And it actually wasn't that way at Regis with some of the other students. At Regis, they, did, they took a different tact, something that they called restorative justice. Whereas there's this process of getting the victor and the offender to collaborate. I mean, it's uncomfortable for everyone involved, just as we're squirming thinking about it, right? Um, you know, lots of truth is spoken, but it's done in a way to help the other share that truth without lashing out. And what was so inspiring to me was, was this was Rainier and what he said after this. He said this. He said, administrators re facilitated real dialogue between me and my main offender. We talked at length over his thought process. And he even sent me a message apologizing and telling me exactly what he did was wrong and that my frustrations were valid. Also, my former friend said, I'm sorry, Rainier. I didn't realize why what I said was wrong. I didn't know it was racist. It felt like progress as if I actually made a difference in his life. Did that solve racism in that boy or at Regis? Probably not completely. But it was a step. And it carried an aroma like Jesus around how their words were used. And especially by Rainier. You see, we imitate God in his pattern of love with our words. So how are you doing with being truthful? Not indiscreet, not bludgeoning, but how are you doing with being truthful? How are we doing with expressing our anger? in a wider culture that seems to be very angry these days and very fearful. Listen again to God as that music of love in Jesus. <laughs> Turn a deaf ear to that other stuff. Listen to his pattern of truthfulness with you. Listen to how he expressed himself in his word and with his ultimate word in Jesus. And then celebrate where you've succeeded. Confess where you failed. And then just keep on trying to dance. Keep on trying to dance that music of love in Jesus with how you use your words. Paul keeps meddling with us. It doesn't just stop there. He adds another section to our dance of love in Jesus, this rhythm instruction in adding value to others. This is how Paul put it. He said this. He said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now again, this looks like two separate ideas here, you know, stealing and corrupting talk, but both are connected by what they do. They take away from people and diminish benefits that are due them. This is the very opposite of God's pattern, the opposite of God's music that we dance to. God loving people in Jesus is only about adding value to them by tearing down sin and building them up to be the one they were created to be, from confronting and affirming, from backing away and drawing near. And as such, to imitate God means we bring value, we add value to people. But let's take a look at how this very particularly works out. Notice what he says. For one, it means doing good work with our hands. Instead of hands that are stealing and taking what is not ours, we're to use hands that work to contribute to people. I mean, all forms of work and stealing are in mind here. This is not just blue-collar labor. White-collar, you're not off the hook. He challenges us in our work. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Are we stealing from workplaces and schools with how we use our time or what work we do that we present as ourselves we're actually scooping from someone else? Does our actual work and our actual studying steal from people? Or are we working with undivided, honest effort in our jobs and our schools that contribute to the welfare of people or their eventual welfare. And so we're to work in in jobs, at home, in retirement, and in school in a way that adds value to people or will add value to people. And then Paul wants us to double down on that adding value from what we work by what we gain from our work. He says so that we have something to share with anyone in need. He wants our work to add value to people and then the result of our work in a paycheck to add value as well by being generous. Generous to the church, to organizations that stir our passions, to others in need, and in particular, to our own church family. Instead of taking with our hands, we imitate God as givers by working with our hands to add value to humanity and to have something to share in generosity with others. And not only that, Imitating God means building others up with our words. I mean, so often we use our words to build ourselves up, which actually ends up costing other people. I mean, we share about ourselves without inviting others to share about themselves, which causes them a sense of value. We make ourselves feel better about ourselves by gossiping, voicing harsh criticism, making fun that actually diminishes them. And we pepper people with our opinions to get our way or to get our benefit without actually affirming maybe their contrary opinions. And when we feel the ugliness of this, when we do, it's it's also ugly for God. I mean, notice it, it grieves the spirit with the loss of what could be in building up his beloved people. The beneficiary of our words has cosmic implications, which are mostly out of our immediate sight. And so this is the challenge, to reverse that benefit flow with our words. 
Others should benefit from what you and I say and speak, not just ourselves. I mean, granted, this doesn't have to look like sunshine and roses all the time. It includes the harder stuff of confronting and criticism, but it's done with an eye of being constructive, spoken in a way that they can receive it and build toward being a better version of themselves in Jesus. And as such, the posture of our words should be this. It should be to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Our words are to be profoundly constructive to others, to point that people walk away from being with us and they are better than when they first encountered us, knowing that we see them and that we're for them, forgiven and free from having to do anything to kind of make stuff up with us, to make up for something. And kind of a newfound strength for living a Jesus-shaped life. You see, to imitate this pattern of love in Jesus is by adding value to people with our hands and our work, with our words coming out of our mouth. I mean, with one another, we're to take a posture of a construction worker that's building up another's life, not a demolition, you know, labor who's tearing down them to build ourselves up. And so how are we doing with our work these days? How are we doing adding value with what we say to people in the office, in our neighborhoods, here on campus? Listen again to this music of God in Jesus. Listen. Listen to the work of his hands to build you up in Jesus, whose hands bear those marks. Listen to his words that only ever built you up to be the one you were made to be. I mean, celebrate where you've done well. Confess where you failed. Get wisdom from trusted people to do it better, but just keep dancing to this music of love in Jesus to work at yourself and maybe even ask yourself, how do I add value to this person in front of me? You know, who we imitate, who you imitate, who I imitate, who we imitate together is of crucial significance for us as followers of Jesus. It matters for the aroma we give off and if people can smell Jesus when they're around us. It matters for our church so that there's no room for Satan here and no foothold for Satan here and there are no tears brought to the Holy Spirit's face because of what we say. The famed Irish poet and playwright, Oscar Wilde, he popularized that famous saying that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And so Paul's invitation to you, his challenge for all of us, is to go ahead, start flattering God. Imitate him and his pattern of love that we know in Jesus, who lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died for our sin and rose for our life. He says, follow that pattern with your words. Follow that pattern by adding value to people. Let's pray. God, we confess in these times and in our world, we are simply bombarded, bombarded by music. 
uh, tunes that our culture sings to us, uh, noise that we have invited in. God, would you help us to hear this music of love that is in Jesus? Would you help us to hear it again? With crystal clarity, would you give us ears to hear? And would you let that inform our dance of love in this world with one another? That truly people might throw their attention to you, that Jesus, you might be the aroma, and that others might want to come and join in the dance of love at the feet of God. And we ask that you would do this for your glory, for our joy, and for our world's hope, we pray in Christ's name.